connect with that purpose that brought you to the path from the start. That moment when you were forced to look at reality that forced you to ask, is this all there is? Is this the limit of joy? Is this pain all that there is? Whatever the question that forced you to ask in such a way that you question the very reality that you're experiencing that made you become a seeker. Connect with that. Connect with the emotion. Connect with the thought. And let it fill your whole being, becoming a strong determination. And let that determination resonate from you. Let it ring from your being, sending out notice to your immediate surroundings. A connect with whatever you can connect with within your immediate surroundings that can connect you to the state of tranquility. You may be hearing it, it may be through the sense of touch, in whatever way you find yourself in some palpable measure connected to tranquility. Just allow that connection to take place. Allow that contact. Communicating to the elements in your immediate surrounding, asking them for their cooperation. about to do something that is of great significance to you. And let the very weight of the significance relax you. Relax the urgency, the need to do something, but rather to be and find. Let that tranquility fill your whole being. Feel it in your own body. Feel your body looking and resting, sinking into its own natural tranquility. And you experience it as a pleasant physical sensation. And in a gentle way, Take hold of your attention, direct it to the legs, looking, watching the tranquility 
listen to the body guiding you. Arrange your legs this way and that way so you can go deeper, experience the tranquility of the body in a much deeper way. And once you feel a sense of satisfaction with the tranquility or with the placement of the legs, gently direct your attention to the arms, the hands, the elbows, and allow tranquility, the natural tranquility to settle. And again, continue to listen to the body. If it tells you, move the arms this way, that way. Helping you, co cooperating. Helping you to go deeper into that tranquility. gently bring the arm, bring your attention to the torso, especially the back, and palpably feel the sense of stability, feel the sense of tranquility in the form of a sense of ease. Notice how the sense of ease is not only affecting the body, but slowly starting to affect the breath, slowly affecting the mind. So there's no need for you to make the breath tranquil, no need for you to make the mind tranquil. It's already taking place, just allow it to continue. And once you feel a physical sense of confidence when your attention is on the torso, move your attention to the neck and the neck and the head and just allow the head and neck to find the natural center where you don't need to consciously have to hold your head and neck in place. You leave them and there they remain, stable, relaxed, and feel the tranquility permeating the head and neck that pleasant physical sensation. And if you begin to experience the body in a slightly different way, where in the same space where the body of flesh and blood is sitting, there's a different sense of the body Instead of weight, there is lightness. There's a sense of moving in the same place.
and gently bring our attention to the mouth, teeth, tongue, letting them rest in their natural places, continuing to experience that physical sense of tranquility, that physical pleasant experience. And gently your eyes, allowing the tranquility, allowing your eyes to guide you should they be opened, should they be closed, should they be half opened, in whichever posture the sense of tranquility is deepened, that's the one that's for you. And that other sense of the body seems to be becoming more prominent Allow it, don't fight it, don't try to push the other one away, don't try to grasp onto the other one. Remain in a state of not grasping at anything and not rejecting anything. You've already made your announcement, your intention to, your, to the environment. So consider the environment participating, corroborating. So whatever it gives you, consider it to be a gift to help you deepen your tranquility. Gently bring your attention to the breath. No need to control the breath, no need to make the breath. No need to fight distractions, no need to force your mind to focus on the breath. Just know you are breathing in as you are breathing in. Know you are breathing out as you are breathing out. And whatever else may appear in the field of your awareness, keep that attitude of not rejecting, not grasping. Just enjoy awareness of the breath. And feel how the breath is connected to that sense, that other sense of the body the body sense as light. And without forcing, without rejecting, without grasping, add the intention, I want the flow of my awareness to remain on the breath, unbroken, 
for 11 cycles of breath. It doesn't mean that nothing else appears in the field of your awareness, but rather you do not lose awareness of the breath no matter what your senses are picking up. So try to do it in a gentle, non-grasping, non-rejecting way, but rather trying to make the breath remain steady for the mind, for your awareness to follow, but rather just hold on to the intention. I want to keep the flow of the awareness on the breath for 11 cycles and become aware of the beginning of the out-breath, the duration of the out-breath, the point when the out-breath ends and transforms into the in-breath, the duration of the in-breath, the end of the in-breath, again transforms back into out-breath. And as you do so, observe, continue to be loosely, joyfully mindful of the tranquility deepening further, the sense of the body becoming lighter, the sense of the breath and the body almost becoming one entity.
continue to experience, to be aware of the deepening of the sense of tranquility, entering into a pleasant physical experience where your mind relates to it as, ah, I would like this to continue. So within this tranquil state, that is now you're going to actively think. But while you are actively thinking, stay within the tranquil state that you've arrived in. If you find yourself losing that tranquil state because of the activity of your thoughts, stop the thoughts back to re-experiencing the tranquility and once the tranquility is stable then with the intention to stay in that tranquility and for that tranquility to continue to deepen then begin activated thought again within the tranquility, still aware of it, still experiencing it, still aware of the pleasant experience. Bring your attention now to the space in front of you at the level of your eyebrows. And bringing your attention there does not disturb the tranquility, does not degrade the tranquility. You still have that nice, pleasant experience in the body. You still have that wish to continue to experience what you're experiencing. While your attention is drawn to the space in front of you. And again, consider. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? And how will you achieve the objective of your aspiration? Consider the very objective that you're aspiring after. Manifest in that space. Feel the presence of your infallible guide. The sincerity of your aspiration is your invocation. If your infallible guide has already taken a, taken a form, see the form of your infallible guide shining with brilliance, or just feel 
a bright presence and feel and be aware of the physical indication of there is actually a presence of a guide in front of you. For some it may feel like heat, for others it may feel like cold, for some it may feel like there's a magnet pulling on the magnet in your forehead, for others it may feel like prickling electricity, in whatever way some physical manifestation is in your field of your awareness at that level, consider that to be a sign of the presence of your infallible guide. If you're not already directly perceiving your infallible guide by some other perceptual means. And once that sense of the presence is stable, still within the tranquility, consider right here, right now, in front of you, is the infallible means to achieve your highest aspirations. just considering this, feel the sense of reverence, a sense of gratitude swelling within your heart, and in your own genuine way, express your gratitude, express your reverence. Accept the protection and guidance being offered to you. Take refuge. Again, sense the value of the goal of your aspirations, how much it means to you. And now you are in the very presence of the actual means to achieve it. So whatever habits, how you relate with others, how you relate with yourself, how you relate with the environment, how you communicate with others, where their actual result is to, to, to distance you from achieving your aim. Those that you know, those that you don't know, those thoughts that you entertain in your mind, 
that don't really help you but obstructs you. The way you speak with others that does not help you but actually obstructs you. Those that you know, those that you don't. Form a strong determination within you. A strong willingness to not engage in those habits anymore. And rely on the strength of your infallible guide. Rely on the strength of compassion. form an equally strong determination to pick up those habits of relating with others, relating with yourself, with your environment, the way you communicate, the thoughts that you entertain that will actually result in helping you bring you closer to your aim. And for some reason you find yourself not taking them up. Now make a strong determination, thinking of the value of your goal to take up those habits and again beg your infallible guide for support, for strength, for guidance and let your compassion strengthen you. Feel the surge of the momentum that you've gathered so far. And again, recall why are you sitting here? What are you trying to do? What are you aiming for? And direct that momentum to the success of your endeavor. now to the crown of your head 
physically feel that sensation sensation you felt now going from the forehead to the crown of your head feel that bright presence above your head and continuing to strongly wish in this practice for this practice for this sitting to be free of your obstacles to be filled with the realizations you seek and feel a shower of blessing descending from the heart of your infallible guide above your head a shower taking the form of light Removing all your hesitations, inhibitions, removing all anything that obstructs you, whether it is physical discomfort, emotional discomfort, misunderstanding, whatever it is that obstructs you. Strongly wish to be free of them. Focusing on your infallible guide for, for help. this time if you are able to find your seat your proper posture you didn't have too much difficulties with the posture then the body should be very pleasant right now if not then you we proceeded without really finding the posture Feeling the momentum, requesting for blessing, strongly wishing to gain the realizations you seek, for your mind to cooperate, begging for your body to cooperate, begging for the environment to cooperate. This is so important to you. environment gives you as a gift is actually helping
this to get yourself ready to enter into sacred space to do sacred duty and once you feel ready ready to receive direct transmission ready to merge your mind with your infallible guide that presence from the crown of your head through your central channel and feel that presence entering your heart center like a tiny point of light and feel and see that presence merging with your identity, with your mind, within your heart center. And stay with that for a few seconds. a few moments to really look at the state of tranquility that you achieved. How is the body in this place? How is the mind in this place? How is the breath? Am I aware of the body? Am I aware of the breath? while I'm looking at the state. Then gently, deliberately bring your attention to the physical properties of the breath, the weight of the breath, the temperature of the breath, and let the awareness of the physical properties of the breath again bring you back to the Awareness of the physical properties of the body, the weight, the sense of substance, the sense of occupying space. make yourself uh, well you're supposed to be comfortable already but <laughs> <laughs> if 
it wasn't so comfortable. Now really make it comfortable. Stretch your legs if you have to. Okay. of you on vacation. Oh, welcome back. <laughs> uh, I've had this book for quite some time. That's why I look so torn. Well, usually, well, any book looks torn <laughs> once they come into my hands. But this one is because I've had it for quite some time. Uh, and it's interesting how I found out that only later the person who actually is responsible for this book, uh, Garma C.C. Cheng, uh, I think he's the one who uh, uh, responsible for that beautiful monastery in Carmel. Okay. Strangely enough, this is the coincidence, he is the one who's responsible for bringing my teacher to the United States. Uh, he, he invited Rinpoche uh, to help uh, with translation. Uh, uh, the work that he, Rinpoche was supposed to translate into English or help with translation was the, the Abhidhamma Kosha. That never really became anything. <laughs> but Rinpoche was here. Rinpoche established a connection with, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, a very... Uh, famous Lama at that time, Keshe Wangyal, yeah, okay. in Washington, New Jersey, and that then work out. Uh, we, uh, the Dalai Lama finally asked Rinpoche, my teacher, to become the to to take care of the Kamo community in in Howell, and that's where Rinpoche stayed for until well, until he uh, was no longer showing himself in the physical plane anymore. So, so that's the connection, for some reason, I have with this, <laughs> this person who brought this book. And it's a, it's a beautiful translation. It's kind of old. The English is kind of old. It may not be uh, to our, your modern taste. <laughs> but so far, I don't think anyone has uh, attempted to translate the, the text that was translated in here. And he didn't translate the entire uh, sutra. This is a collection of sutras called... He translated as a treasury of Mahayana sutras. Maharatnakutra sutra. Maharatnakutra sutra. I think sometimes it's referred to as uh, uh, the great array, jewel array sutra. Okay. And I fell in love with this t with uh, some some of the texts that were translated in there, because you know at times once in a while you feel. Uh, your intuition is guiding you towards a particular understanding, and because you're not hearing it from your environment, you kind of doubt it. And I find that some some of the things that I uh, had suspicions about were sort of confirmed uh, by some of the sutras in there. And there might be some uh, a phrase here and there that seems to be ugh, that can't couldn't possibly be in the sutra. We have to think, you know, that somebody translating this, I don't know how many years ago, how many decades ago, right? 
So yeah, take that into consideration because there are other lines that seem to contradict those lines, what the idea that those lines are presenting. Like for example, or maybe a misunderstanding. Okay, I'll just throw this one out. <laughs> because we are, the, uh, what I wanted to uh, touch upon uh, is the incredible compassion of Manjushri. Manjushri is supposed to be known for his great wisdom. As a matter of fact, when Manjushri is speaking, nobody can understand him. <laughs> because he always speaks from the point of view, from the, from the absolute understanding of wisdom. So you say, oh, Manjushri, what day is it? Manjushri will say, do you exist? Do I exist? Does time exist? How can you be asking me for what day, what time it is? <laughs> And the Buddha would intervene and say, come on, Manjushri, forget about that, all that stuff. Just tell the guy the time. <laughs> <laughs> say, okay, in a conventionally speaking uh, way that doesn't exist but seems to exist, it's 4 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> you will not find those lines in a sutra, by the way, but just an example <laughs> of, of the kind of dialogue that takes place with, with Manjushri in any sutra. And of course, uh, Manjushri... Uh, uh, there's the assembly and then somehow some people are able to see Manjushri and some uh, one of the persons there uh, formulated this thought wow this guy Manjushri is great I mean he's been around he's been around the Dharma scene for quite some time he's been in the neighborhood for quite some time no, was that, was ago. been around the block for some, been around the block is that a good good term uh, I'm not sure. Is that, is that complimentary? I'm not sure. <laughs> he's, been around for, he's been around the Dharma for quite some time. And uh, he formulated a couple of thoughts. One of the thoughts that he's come to come to was, how come he's still a Bodhisattva? How come he's still a Bodhisattva? <laughs> Why is he in a Buddha already? That's one thing. And of course, Manjushri answers that question the same way that Manjushri always answers everything from the point of view of the absolute. But we're not going to that. <laughs> Uh, but what, the other question that he asked was, uh, wow, what great vow could this being have taken? I, w I wish I was there when I saw this being taking his bodhisattva vows. Okay. And then he directly asked Manjushri uh, that question, and Manjushri, of course, goes into, from the point of view of absolute wisdom, where it doesn't seem to be answering the question. Okay. What being is called Manjushri that could have taken a vow? Does vow exist? Da -da 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 -da. Of course, eventually the Buddha says, come on, just tell the guy, just stop. <laughs> okay. So, so Manjushri, although he's uh, known uh, because of his vow, actually, to be uh, the, the person, uh, the embodiment of wisdom itself, but, and this is the thing I wanted to always connect you to, that... Uh, at the pro most profound level, compassion and love is inseparable, is one and the same entity with wisdom. Okay. So, uh, this embodiment of wisdom, when he when he talks about, when he expresses when he expresses something that touches upon his compassion, your mind gets blown away. So finally, the Buddha had to intervene 
and tell, okay, come on, Manjushri, please, all right? <laughs> so, thus instructed by the Tathagata, by the Buddha, Manjushri rose from his seat, bared his right shoulder, knelt on his right knee, joined his palms, and said to the Buddha, now this uh, little scene that you just that was just described, uh, some people probably have seen it and have no idea what it, what they mean, but it's supposed to be uh, as uh, Rinpoche would say, it's uh, it's the rule, <laughs> some sort of cosmic rule that happens once you enter into become a Bodhisattva. No matter where you are, somehow you feel like when you're addressing a Buddha, you're supposed to. <laughs> Uh, uh, oh, not this one. Yeah. <laughs> Expose one of your shoulders. I guess that's supposed to mean that you're harmless or something. I don't know, you're not hiding a weapon or something. Uh, I'm just mistaken, okay? Then. <laughs> and then you kneel on, on one knee, okay? And you put your palms together. So, and you say, a well honored one. Now, by the miraculous powers vested in me by the Buddha, I'm going to speak of my vows. Those who wish to seek great enlightenment should listen attentively. Steady them according to the truth and fulfill them after hearing them set forth. When Manjushri knelt on his right knee, okay, some of you may say, come on, please, but just bear in mind, okay? The six kinds, six kinds of quakes shook the Buddha lands as innumerable as the sands of the Ganges in each of the ten directions. Okay. Don't try to visualize this. Don't tell yourself, wait a minute. I don't remember anywhere anyone saying one day all of a sudden <laughs> the entire world shook. <laughs> That's not the point of it. Okay. The point of it is to impress upon you the importance about what is your, what you're going to read further. Okay. Manjushri addressed the Buddha, saying, "Okay, again, bear in mind, hundreds of thousands, of millions, of billions, of myriads, of kalpas ago." That's when Manjushri formed his vow. That's how, that's how long he's been around the block. <laughs> okay. Hundreds of thousands of millions of billions of myriads of kalpas <laughs> ago. Already one kalpa is already, you can't even imagine how, many, how long that is, but billions and myriads of them, okay? Manjushri vowed. If all the future Tathagatas in countless Buddha lands in the ten directions, whom I see with my unhindered Deva eye, are not persuaded by me to engender Bodhicitta, or taught by me to cultivate giving, that is generosity, ethics, patience, vigor, meditation and wisdom, and to attain supreme enlightenment, I shall not attain Bodhi. After, only after 
the fulfillment of this vow shall I attain supreme enlightenment. So this is Manjushri vowing. Every being, everyone who's about to become a Buddha, they should have been taught by me. They will have been taught how to practice the deeds of a Bodhisattva, and especially wisdom. So Manjushri is the teacher of all, in like all Buddhas. So whenever somehow you are getting uh, an understanding of the of wisdom, consider that it's Manjushri acting. It's Manjushri's deed being displayed. Being, uh, being carried out. Manjushri's vow being carried out. Okay. Now, before we get into the a way of sort of understanding this in a way that we can accept it, just bear that, just, just hold that wonder in your mind, okay? That sense of wonder. Wonder. W wonder? <laughs> wonder in your mind. Now this is the this is more of the essence of the vow of Manjushri. The vow of Manjushri is a, is a list of things that he has that he made specific for himself. In addition to following what other bodhisattvas do, this is what I put myself will do. Okay, this will be my special vow. Just like uh, each and every bodhisattva, once you have this incredible urge, you moved by compassion to act on behalf of others, there's something about the universe, something about the world that, you, that, that is special to you that you will specialize in, okay? So Manjushri will specialize in teaching wisdom to everyone when they're ready, okay? That's probably why whenever you ask, uh, in, in all the sutras, when, when you ask Manjushri a question, no matter what question you ask, he's teaching you wisdom and the most profound aspect of it. So what I wanted to, so did I make my case about the incredible, inconceivable compassion of Manjushri? I don't think I did. Let me read the vow again. <laughs> so how long has Manjushri been doing this? For hundreds of thousands of millions of billions of myriads of kalpas, this guy has been going around teaching stupid people <laughs> the same thing, the true nature of reality. And so far, he hasn't become tired of doing it. He's still doing it. And he says he will continue to do this until the very last being is about to become a Buddha. I'm going to go teach that one too. And remember what brought up this, the, the need for Manjushri to do this. This guy has been around for so long. Why isn't he fully enlightened Buddha already? Why isn't he being worshipped as some Buddha somewhere? 
He said, I'm not going to make that appearance, the manifestation. And basically, in a sense, to enter some sort of retirement. Okay? <laughs> so I'm not going to make the appearance of, a, of, 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 of uh, entering into spiritual into retirement until I fulfill this, until I've taught the correct way of understanding reality to each and every single sentient being and make, make sure that they achieve perfect enlightenment themselves. Then I'll consider enter into retirement. <laughs> okay. Yep. Give thanks. Tell Manjushri thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, oh yeah, I did say something that was going to be uh, in connection with Manjushri. And I have to just in case you go run and go buy the book, if you can find it. <laughs> and you read the text yourself, and you say, wait a minute, you didn't point to that part. That part doesn't, doesn't sound good. So let me say it right now, okay? Uh, and just understand it to be a translation. <laughs> Somebody's translation. Uh... teach emptiness to someone. <laughs> if someone is uh, requesting in whatever way that request is made, whether verbally or in some action, where it's asking to uh, explain emptiness in some way, don't think that you're, don't get yourself involved, if you understand what I mean. <laughs> Let Manjushri do it. <laughs> I mean, he made a vow to do it, so. Say, <laughs> 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 so, hey, Manjushri, uh, another one, another customer. <laughs> ah, can't find exactly where it is, but it's in the sutra where, the, where Manjushri is describing. Uh, Oh, by the way, this sutra of where Manjushri is describing his vow is called Manjushri's Attainment of Buddhahood. When is Manjushri going to attain Buddhahood? Hmm? <laughs> uh, and, of course, Manjushri explains it in a, in a way that means in an ultimate kind of way. Okay. Uh, 
So there's something that Manjushri said in the story, I can find it right now, I'll just paraphrase it for now, where Manjushri is describing the kind of a world he's creating, the kind of a universe he's creating, the kind of a school that he's creating, the school of, 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 of the Buddha school he's creating. What he's essentially going to do, he's not going to create his own Buddha world, he's going to take all the Buddha worlds that exist and combine them into one school. And that doesn't, doesn't strike you, does it? Doesn't strike you, because you can't even imagine a Buddha world, let alone all the Buddha worlds, and let alone all of them becoming one. Remember, this is Manjushri speaking. He's always doing things from the point of view of the absolute. Okay? So, Manjushri, he's not going to create his own Buddha world, he's not going to create his own universe, where he's going to, you know, popping out Bodhisattvas and Buddhas, and giving little, you know, Buddha certificates. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of that, he's going to take all the Buddha lands that exist from the point of view of all, of, all the Buddha lands that already will exist in the future, combine them into one Buddha school, one Buddha land, that's why they, that term that it is used. And in that Buddha land, these are the people... These are the kind of students that will be there. Well, <laughs> this is what this is it. Okay, be ready. Get ready. <laughs> Don't throw anything at me. I'm just reading <laughs> from the book. Okay. <laughs> but understand it more from the perspective of the people of the time. Okay. He said there will not even be the name woman in my Buddha land. Does that mean that there will be a bunch of men there? What does that mean? If you're a woman, you cannot be, you not go there? Or you have to, like, uh, there's this beautiful sutra where Ananda asked uh, a woman who was there, what are you doing here? You're a woman. And then <laughs> the lady turned uh, Ananda into a woman. <laughs> 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 you have to be there. <laughs> uh, so, the point of it is this this stupid condition of gender inequality, gender issue, where that becomes a big deal. That's gonna not going to exist in his Buddha land. Okay, that will not be an issue at all. Especially if you consider the the. Almost, uh, uh, unfortunately, in many cultures, just the word itself is not is not is not uh, how do you say is not complimentary. complimentary. A woe man, and in Tibetan, the word is uh, yeah. <laughs> and what does that translate into? Lonely. Yeah. Forget about that. Just think about the mindset at the time. And remember uh, that woman who showed Ananda something because of his, uh, even though he was highly whatever, he was still had that concept stuck in his mind. And that's probably why he, he, after, 
that uh, even after the Buddha, he didn't reach arhathood. And all the other ahas were saying, I mean, come on, Ananda, you're the Buddha's cousin. <laughs> you were with him all every day, and you're still not, not, not an ahat. What's the matter with you? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and he felt ashamed, and then he went to the cave and became an ahat and came back. And that's how he got the sutras. <laughs> then he was allowed to sit and recite the sutras. Okay. So, so consider that. Okay. <laughs> and the woman had to tell him, almost like a Manjushri kind of way, what? Why is that so such a big deal for you? Okay, be a woman now. Okay, are you, did you, are you no longer Ananda? Did you suddenly lose all the realization you had before? Never mind that. Okay, so understand it that way. Just in case you won't buy the book, <laughs> and you come into that, don't throw the book away because of that of that line. Okay. And later on, of course, uh, there are a lot of places where it says, "Any man or woman." Okay. All right. So. So what does it mean, hundreds of thousands of kalpas of billions of billions of hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of millions of billions of myriads of kalpas? Manjushri is going to continue to engage himself with absolutely stupid people. Not just absolutely stupid in the sense that they don't know things, but especially the, the real nice stupid ones who believe that they know everything. Okay. And they really don't know anything. He's going to continue to engage them. They appear in whatever form they need him to appear as. To teach them. To, so that they can become themselves a fully enlightened Buddha. He's going to continue to have to, in, to see, oh, that person is suffering. That person is suffering. Continue to have to engage in, continuing to engage in that. One of the vows uh, that I didn't read, one, that we say, I will continue to enter into samsara for as long as it takes to fulfill, fulfill my vow. So this is somebody who won the, 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 the lottery, hundreds of millions of billions of trillions of, you know, ago to retire, and instead of retiring, decided to continue to en engage in the world. Why? Because he wants everyone to become an enlightened being. And he's taking the personal responsibility to make sure that they understand the true nature of reality correctly. He's going to take, he's going to take personal responsibility to teach everyone that. Okay. All right. So, I don't know if I... Yeah. So, so the question I have... Please. ...with any of these, these vows is, obviously, Manjushri is a pretty smart being. <laughs> And obviously he has deduced that by taking this action that he is capable of doing more good for more beings than if he goes the other route, becomes a Buddha, mm -hmm. and then you know helps enlighten every being as mm -hmm. a Buddha. Mm -hmm. How could that be? Yeah, very good question. Why? Let me, let's, 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 let's let Manjushri answer that question. Good. <laughs> because somebody asked that question in that assembly. And listen carefully. <laughs> You're going to 
ですか Okay. Then someone asked, I love these names. Warren. Especially. <laughs> 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 uh, Bodhisattva Manjushri, the youthful Dhamma prince, is always praised by Buddhas, well honored ones. When will he attain supreme enlightenment? And the Buddha said, good man, you should ask Manjushri yourself. <laughs> of course, he asked Manjushri. And Manjushri answered, <laughs> good man, instead of asking me whether I progress towards enlightenment, why do you ask me when I shall attain it? Why do I ask this? Because I do not even progress towards enlightenment. How then can I attain it? <laughs> I told you, he answers every question from the absolute point of view. And of course, uh, Warren becomes bewildered <laughs> as the Bodhisattva in here is bewildered by the answer. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, we're trying to say that's what it means. <laughs> you do not progress towards enlightenment for the benefit of all sentient beings? And Manjushri answers, no. <laughs> Why not? Because sentient beings are inapprehensible. If there were sentient beings, I would progress towards enlightenment for their benefit, since neither a sentient being nor a life nor a personal identity exists. I do not progress towards enlightenment, nor do I regress from it. And it gets murkier than this. 
and eventually, <laughs> again, he says, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, good man, all dharmas progress towards the Buddha Dharma. Why? Because they are devoid of defilement, bondage, shape, or form. As the Buddha abides in suchness, so do all dharmas. So whenever Manjushri opens his mouth and tries to clarify something, all you end up saying, what? <laughs> <laughs> so eventually it comes out to say, I don't need to seek enlightenment because I'm already enlightened. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't answer it in an egotistical way. Like, I, Manjushri, I'm already enlightened. But answers it in a, in a way where he says, all dharmas are already enlightened. My, the difference between all dharmas already enlightened and I am already enlightened is that I know it. He says that somewhere. You don't have time, and it's past time. You were supposed to do some intense meditation and scare yourself to death, but <laughs> you're not going to have time now to scare yourself to death. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to guide you. So try to recall uh, Manjushri's, uh, I don't know if I, it, I don't know, it, it impressed me a lot, Manjushri's compassion, maybe because I read more of, the, of his vows. Uh, uh, w when you read, uh, and of course there's a sutra with, that talks about the, the vow of the, the one who's the embodiment of compassion. Uh, who's that? Avalokiteshwara. There's a sutra where Avalokiteshwara is talking about his vow. What makes his vow uh, personal to him? Or her, or, oh well, just Avalokiteshwara, <laughs> okay. And uh, Avalokiteshwara seems to be very, very human in his uh, in his vow, his Bodhisattva vow. You know, like you know, d listing things that you are aware of, things that you experience, and you see, oh, he's he's care about, he cares about that, he cares about that, he cares about that, just like I'm going through it, okay. And yet, Anjushri, so like with his vast mind, you know, uh, already in the, uh, uh, how do you say, covering all of existence, makes a vow where he, where he almost disappears in his vow. You know, he disappears, he's not like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, he's, but he disappears. And the only thing that is a concern to him, the only thing that is of concern to him is the that all sentient beings become enlightened. All sentient beings escape suffering. That's, that's the only thought that's in his mind. All right, so. I tried <laughs> to impress you with uh, Manjushri's compassion so that 
Remember, he, uh, the reason that he dis finally described his vow is for, to inspire you, so that you can also sort of model your, your, your personal vow after his. Okay, okay now <coughs> try to do that, or even try to, if you remember the meditation on, on wisdom, try to do that, because I have something to do. So I'm not going to be uh, you know, talking in your head and say, now do this, now do that, now do this. Okay. You're on your own. <laughs> okay. So remember, I asked you to take a nice snapshot of the state of tranquility. Now we call that. And let the recollection bring you back into that experience. Just asking yourself, how, how did my body feel? How did my breath feel? How did my mind feel? and just recalling it and allow the experience to, to take over. And once you're in that experience again, stabilize it, then let compassion to whatever degree you can fill your, that space and then do whatever else you want to do.
feel the sick at work that you were doing, you can stop the doing now, just remain in the space, just the space of the meditation. Be aware of the degree of tranquility. Be aware of the lack of striving. The pleasant aspect of this space. And turn your mind to someone or to some people, to a place where this tranquility has not yet been experienced. And because of that, these person or these people are completely overwhelmed by delusion, especially the delusion that makes them think somehow they can be benefited by harming someone. Embrace them with your compassion. And through the power of that compassion, make a gift of the tranquility that you are experiencing. That they may be free of the fever of that delusion that they can start to see harming another cannot benefit anyone. Not self, not other, nor both. the delusion is promising them exists in the tranquility that you are gifting them. Okay, make your own dedication.
slowly become aware of the breath, the physical properties, the weight of it, the temperature of it. And through the awareness of the breath, become aware of the body again, beginning first with the crown of your head. And then include more and more of your body with each breath until you are aware of the whole body from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. I don't think I confuse you enough, like I usually do. <laughs> so I have to let you go with a bit of confusion. There's a, when you're about to study something very difficult, there are, there, is a, there are prayers that you say to Manjushri. You recite the Manjushri's mantra, and then Om and so forth. And there's a beautiful praise that is praise to Manjushri. And since this belongs somewhat to the secret category of teachings, uh, there is an explanation of the prayer. And in the prayer, it sort of describes, gives you, an, gives you a, a more realistic understanding of who is Manjushri. So I'm going to uh, address that. So hundreds of thousands of millions of billions of millions of kappas ago, there was a guy and living in some universe somewhere, who saw the world, who had compassion, and made a vow. And that person, his name is Manjushri. When you are able to understand the true nature of reality, that kind of unsullied intellect is Manjushri. When you consider all beings, when they are enlightened, their collective wisdom, that is Manjushri. So which one is Manjushri? Will the real Manjushri stand up? <laughs> <laughs> if you're confused, thank you. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>